edition of Monday Morning Huddle, a special edition on Wednesday. I'm your host, Dave Holcomb. Sorry that this is a couple days late. Normally we come out every Monday morning, as most of you probably know, but I was wrapping up uh, the last part of the semester at Syracuse, but I'm all ready to go uh, the rest of the, the year and into January. Um, we'll be on Monday morning, except for today. Uh, we're going to have a little bit different look to our show. We're going to recap a little bit um, of the big games from a couple days ago on Sunday and, and Monday night, uh, the Jets and Titans game. But uh, we're also going to go into you know, some of the weekly gossip that uh, arose um, from the results um, of Week 15. We're going to start with the biggest game of the week on Sunday night football, the San Francisco 49ers visiting New the New England Patriots. I had predictions for this game um, just a week ago and saying that I thought New England would be able to beat Houston and San Francisco at home, um, both in prime time games. New England was able to thrash Houston, which, you know, to be honest, I really wasn't that surprised, maybe a little surprised that it wasn't a game, but Patriots really took it to the Texans and uh, looked like uh, New England would get that number one seed. Uh, I thought they would win out, and if Houston loses one more game, then the Patriots would pass them with the tiebreaker. However, uh, the Patriots fell to the 49ers 41-34 on Sunday night. The 49ers had a huge lead in this game. Um, going into halftime, it was 17-3, and then into the third quarter, at one point it was 31-3. Uh, San Francisco before New England went on a tear to actually come back and tie the game 31-31 and San Francisco very quickly had a big return uh, to start a drive after the Patriots tied it and then on the very next play Colin Kaepernick threw a touchdown pass to Michael Crabtree for 38 yards and the 49ers retook the lead 38-31 and didn't look back. Biggest thing I think in this game Colin Kaepernick. You know I... I Last week, I, when I said New England would win, I thought the Patriots would win, but I wouldn't be surprised if the 49ers did win. Um, I, but I said I would be impressed, and I was very impressed with the 49ers play and Colin Kaepernick. Uh, four touchdown passes for him, 14 of 25. They were able to limit his number of attempts, even though it was a close game uh, in the end. Kaepernick threw one interception. But what I was impressed with was the 49ers' ability to stop the New England offense and get them to turn the ball over. As we know, New England is has the number one turnover differential in the league, and in this game they were minus two, turned the ball over four times. Yes, they had 520 total yards of offense. Tom Brady ended up throwing for 443 yards through the air. So not the prettiest stats for the 49er defense, and they gave up 34 points. But the biggest difference that we, we talk about this all the time on the show, when you turn the ball over, it's tough to win. And New England had a chance in the end to come back and win this game, but probably won too many turnovers, two interceptions from Tom Brady. Uh, very impressive, I think, that the 49ers were able to force 
um, New England to make mistakes. There's a good uh, article up on footballnation.com written by Doug Tozer. It's actually a a, a slideshow about the four things uh, the Patriots have to do going into the playoffs, and it's funny that he mentioned a couple of things like you know take care of the ball, you know don't make silly mistakes, something that New England really doesn't do. They don't, they've only probably done it in in the San Francisco game. Um, I'll let you guys uh, check out the rest of that article, but it's true. You know the New England is going to have to take care of the ball, obviously, to win. Um, that's that's why they're one of the best teams in the league. They're, they're able to protect the ball and um, force other teams to, to make mistakes. And The 49ers, even with their young quarterback, Colin Kaepernick, um, they made less mistakes than New England and were able to win this game. Uh, huge for San Francisco. They clinch a playoff berth. They're still in line for a bye at the number two seed, and, but they had to have a huge showdown in Seattle. Uh, this coming Sunday, also going to be on Sunday Night Football, so we'll be recover, uh, covering that game next week. And uh, that very well could decide the division title. Um, the Seattle Seahawks come into the game at 9-5. and five. The 49ers are 10-3-1. and one. So a game and a half uh, difference there. If the Seahawks win, they would, have, they would both have 10 wins, but the 49ers would have four losses and one tie. The Seahawks, five losses. So technically the same winning percentage, actually, if they both, if the, if the Seahawks win with one game left. So that would make it very uh, interesting in, in, in that division if the Seahawks are able to win. And it's a very tough place to play uh, on the road. Of course, the 49ers just beat uh, New England in a very difficult place to, to play, especially late in the season against a, a, a perennial playoff team so I I st- I you know last week I said the Seahawks would win and I actually said the 49ers would drop to a wild card now I'm a little bit on the fence because of the way the 49ers just played um I'm still gonna stick with Seattle winning this game uh and and I think uh San Francisco is gonna end up coughing up at least that first round bye still could cough up the division as I said I'm looking for Green Bay who got a huge win in Chicago to get that uh, first-round bias, the two-seed Atlanta. We're transitioning into the game that they just played against the New York Giants. A huge uh, game for both teams, a rematch of last year's wild-card game. The Falcons defeated the defending Super Bowl champs 34 to nothing. It was quite a thrashing. Um, the Giants, you know, they're, they're a good team. Um, they're they're one of the more inconsistent teams, obviously, in the league. When they play well, though, they're as good as anybody. Um, but they live and die with Eli Manning. And when Eli Manning has an off game, you know, this, this kind of thing happens for the Giants. And, and in the last five weeks, um, they've been up and down. That inconsistency I mentioned, usually they play very well at home. You know, two weeks ago, uh, they or I guess a week and a half ago, they they. 52 points up on the New Orleans Saints with David Wilson having a huge game with the returns and and over 400 yards for the Giants in return yardage. On the road in Atlanta, a tough place to play in in the Georgia Dome, they get shut out. So this is kind of being a recurring theme. If we go back another week, tough game in Washington. Uh, The Giants continue to have to settle for field goals, and unfortunately their field goal kicker, 
Lawrence Tynes um, has, has kind of lost his hot streak that he had at the beginning of the season. He's missed quite a few field goals in the last few weeks. Um, and Eli Manning, as I said, the Giants live and die with him. In this game, he was 13 of 25, not a good completion percentage, and threw two interceptions. An interception on the first pass of the game really set the tone. And uh, Matt Ryan really teed off. The, I think the biggest thing for Giants on defense they were unable to get much of a pass rush, on, pass rush on Matt Ryan, which is a little bit surprising. And um, their tackling was very subpar in this game. They were trying to tackle high. If you if you watch the game, Tony Saragusa brought it up, one of the announce the announcers, how they were trying to tackle Michael Turner up high, and that's just not going to bring down the guy. Michael Turner's had a, somewhat of a down year. I think people are overhyping Michael Turner's um, statistics. He's had a good season. It just the offense doesn't run through him anymore. It's much more of a Matt Ryan-oriented um, offense. Michael Turner is still a good running back, and he showed that uh, against the Giants as they really struggled to bring him down. He had uh, 52 yards on on the ground with just on just 16 carries, but had a touchdown, um, and it was really effective, I think, in the red zone and, and being able to score. Uh, and move the Falcons um, in, inside the 20-yard the line. Matt Ryan, three touchdowns, 270 yards through the air, uh, really outplayed Eli Manning. And uh, this is a huge game for Atlanta because it keeps them in line for that number one seed. But for the Giants, they are, have now fallen to 8-6 and six and are in a three-way tie with the Washington Redskins and the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, both teams uh, won... On Sunday, the Redskins defeated the Cleveland Browns without Robert Griffin III. Rookie Kirk Cousins um, stepped in and won the game in Cleveland. And the Dallas Cowboys, a huge win at home against the Pittsburgh Steelers in overtime. They are 8-6 and six as well, a three-way tie in the NFC East. But we will get to more of that news after the break. Football Nation's Monday Morning Huddle. I'm your host, Dave Holcomb. This is a special edition coming out on Wednesday, recapping action from Week 15. We go to Dallas, where the Steelers took on the Cowboys. It combined 11 Super Bowl championships in this game. It's only happened one other time last year when the Steelers visited the 49ers. And this uh, was an exciting game through and through. It was 10-10 at halftime, 24-24 at the end of regulation, and Dallas won in overtime with a field goal. 27-24. to 24. Quite a disappointing loss for the Steelers. Um, this is a team that's really reeling now. Have lost four of their last five games. Uh, one of those wins was huge with backup Charlie Batch in Baltimore. Defeated the Ravens. But now looking at the Ravens who have lost three in a row. They're reeling as well. So both the Steelers and Ravens are struggling. Um, it's... Well, let's start with Dallas, the, the winner of this game. Um... They did very well moving the ball against the number one defense, uh, at least number one in yards allowed and number one in passing yards allowed. Dallas had 415 yards of offense, most yards uh, put up on the Steelers this year, I believe. 
um, and only turned the ball over once. Uh, it was in the red zone, but um, they were able to force two turnovers. The big interception of Ben Roethlisberger in overtime actually gave them the win and put them in position for the chip shot shot uh, field goal 21 yards away for Dan La- Bailey to uh, clinch the victory. Uh, and the Cowboys are alive and well in the NFC East. With two games remaining, they are 8-6. and six. Uh, Huge showdown with the Washington Redskins the last week of the season uh, is looming. That could very well decide the division, though I know the New York Giants are going to probably have a say in this when all is said and done. But um, just a, a huge win. Tony Romo really coming through for the Dallas Cowboys. And DeMarco Murray, with his return to the lineup, has really given this team... Um, enough balance to, to keep uh, a team like the St- good Steelers defense off balance. I think the matchup that the Cowboys really look uh, really um, took advantage of in this game, Ike Taylor, the number one cornerback for the Steelers, was out, and his backup, Cortez Allen, was out. So there were cornerbacks and safeties playing in this game for the Steelers that had very little playing time before this game. One guy, um, I can't even recall his name, but he was um, straight off the practice squad. And he, he saw a fair amount of plays um, and, and was on the field at least once when uh, Tony Romo was able to hit Jason Witten for a touchdown. So the Cowboys did a great job of um, exploiting the Steeler weaknesses and the Steeler injuries in the secondary. And actually... For Pittsburgh, it was kind of a rough week to get the Dallas Cowboys. I think it's Cowboys really overlooked as you know one of the best passing teams in the league. I think they really are with Tony Romo and and the receiving core that he has. Um, and even though the Steelers are the number one pass defense in the league, they were nowhere near full strength in this game. And um, with Demarco Murray being able to to keep somewhat of a balance for for the Cowboys. Uh, Kept the Steelers off balance just a little, and Tony Romo was able to put up big numbers against uh, the Steelers. For for Pittsburgh, there's a bit of drama uh, going on in in the Steel City right now. Uh, We saw earlier in the week Ben Roethlisberger calling out Todd, somewhat calling out offensive coordinator Todd Haley for his play calling. Um, You know, he said it somewhat nicely, but everybody knows that Roethlisberger seems unhappy with the the play calling of Todd Haley. Everybody knows that he had a very close relationship with prior offensive coordinator Bruce Arians, who's now the interim head coach of the, the great story uh, in the Indianapolis Colts, and he's helping Andrew Luck develop into a great quarterback. Um, so it's just, it comes across as somewhat sour grapes uh, that, you know, I don't like this guy kind of thing with Roethlisberger's comments. It also, you know, this team has lost four or five. So losing brings out the worst in people sometimes. You know, if a win this week against Cincinnati uh, could solve everything, the Steelers are 7-7. Seven and seven. If they win their last two games, they will get into the playoffs. So they, they still have control of their own destiny. But there are bigger issues on this team than the play calling. Uh, Personally, I think for the Steelers, Haley talked about how he wants to develop a running game. Well, he puts Roethlisberger in shotgun too much to really develop a running game. There's no hope of developing a power running game or establishing the run if you're calling halfback draws in the shotgun. That's just me. 
That's what he calls on first and second down runs or in the shotgun. Um, but there are bigger issues than that. The the fumble by Antonio Brown in the fourth quarter on a punt cannot happen. That cannot happen if you're uh, if you're the Steelers. These fumbles have to be eliminated. They're the Steelers are making more mistakes this year than they ever have under Mike Tomlin, which is why they've lost seven games this year. No penalties in this game against Dallas, so they eliminated the penalties. They're one of the most penalized teams in the league, but. The the turnovers continue. They are minus one again in the turnover differential. Um, and when it counted in the fourth quarter, they weren't able to protect Ben Roethlisberger and and make the plays on defense or offense, really, to, to win the game. And uh, they were in good position to pick up a big win on the road. Baltimore keeps losing. Uh, it's given them a chance to even win the division. But that has slipped away. Now for Pittsburgh, the uh, uh, division showdown with the Cincinnati Bengals. The Bengals come into town uh, this coming week, and the winner presumably will be that sixth wild card spot. Although the Miami Dolphins are um, mathematically still alive, a team that was eliminated on Monday Night Football. We get to talk about Monday Night Football this week. We don't normally when we come out on Monday morning. The New York Jets, a huge disappointment. On Monday Night Football, they took on the Tennessee Titans. Uh, a lot of fallout from this game. The the Jets lost 14 to 10. Mark Sanchez, four interceptions, a fumble lost at the at the end of the game. Um, if you missed it, the Jets uh, coughed up chance after chance in the fourth quarter to score a touchdown to take the lead. They were only down by four, and then with less than a minute left, no timeouts. Somehow, they they were going to get the ball back. They forced a punt attempt from Tennessee, a horrible punt of uh, 19 yards, uh, put the ball at about the 25-yard line of the Titans. With about 48 seconds, the Jets have a chance to throw some passes into the end zone. First snap, they can't execute. It's a, a fumble uh, on the shotgun snap, and uh, the Titans recover, and the game and the season for the Jets is ended and was over in a very sloppy fashion. Um, Mark Sanchez has already been announced that he's going to be benched. Tim Tebow also will not be the starting quarterback. There was a lot of um, debate on ESPN during and after the game about why Sanchez um, would play uh, play the first two series, finally gets into a rhythm at the beginning of the third series, then they take, out, take him out and put in Tim Tebow. Um, Trent Dilford uh, called it, uh, a, I believe, a spitball type um, type offense where it's already planned ahead of time when Tebow is going to come in. There's no feel for the rhythm of the game with Tony Sperano. Uh, I agree with that point. I think that's very true. Um, but the overall thing with this team, and, and Trent Dilford and Steve Young hit upon this as well after the game on ESPN, uh, there's really no effort in, in the Jets' play. They played a... a very average, below average, actually, opponent in Tennessee. It was on the road, but still. You know, the Titans didn't light this game up. Chris Johnson had one good play. That was <laughs> the only good play of the whole game, really, um, for either team. And uh, other than that, the, the Titans gave the Jets chance after chance. The, uh, the, the Jets just continued to cough them up. Defense played well. You know, it, the defense kept them in this game. But... Um, for, for Rex Ryan, talking to Jets fans and um, watching them play, 
I don't think these players want to play for Rex Ryan anymore. He's lost the locker room. The locker room has been divided between Sanchez and Tebow for a long time. Um, Tony Sperano is just... <laughs> he can't... He, he. It's a mystery, some of the things that he does with mixing up Sanchez and Tebow. You can't have two quarterbacks. You can't have two quarterbacks. You have to have one quarterback, one leader on the team uh, is the only way it works. The Jets have been eliminated from playoff contention, so after two years of AFC uh, championship game appearances and close losses, uh, the Jets have followed that up with two years of missing the playoffs, and I think Rex Ryan is on the hot seat. Uh, Sanchez, he's owed a lot of money, and it's hard really to, to see the Jets being able to get rid of him, so he'll probably be back, but he's definitely on the hot seat. The GM is on the hot seat. Tony Sperano is as well. And, um, you know, this is last point about the Jets. We've seen in baseball in recent years how, you know, quick fixes, signing big free agent signings don't really work in baseball anymore. Um, really never have when you think about it. Um, those Yankee teams of the early 2000s were mostly built inside the organization. And then when they went outside, they had became, it became harder and harder for them to win. The more money they spent. And it's, it's been the same thing with the Jets. Although there's a salary cap, the, they've had the fewest draft picks since 2007, I believe was the stat ESPN said last night. Um, and they have had a lot of free agent signings, um, kind of put all their eggs in one basket with dra- trading up and drafting Mark Sanchez, which hasn't worked out, obviously. And um, it, they went for the quick fix to try and knock New England off their pedestal now it hasn't worked. I think it's time to start completely fresh for the Jets. New head coach, new quarterback, new look to the organization. It's going to be a long time to rebuild the team, but a quick fix um, it doesn't work, and I think the, the state they're in right now is pretty unfixable, so it might just be easier to start fresh in 2013. We'll take a quick break, and then we're going to come back with more NFL news from Week 15. Welcome back to Football Nation's Monday Morning Huddle on a special Morning Wednesday. I'm your host, Dave Holcomb. We'd love to hear uh, your comments about our show. You can tweet at me on Twitter. D-M-H-O-L-C-O-M-B is my Twitter handle. You can also email me at my Gmail account. D-M-H-O-L-C-O-M-B-06 at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook. Search Dave's Football News or just leave a comment on the story uh, we're going to move on to, uh, there's actually three records that have a real serious chance of being broken um, in the NFL this year. Starting with Adrian Peterson. What a year he's had coming off his ACL injury last uh, Christmas Eve, I believe it was. Uh, so even still less than a year ago, he was able to, that he tore his ACL and really messed up his knee. 
he's uh, having an amazing year, MVP type season. Lots of people are writing articles about why he should win the MVP over Peyton Manning, over Tom Brady. Um, he needs just 294 more yards with two games to go to pass uh, Eric Dickerson's uh, night, his uh, record of 2,105 yards in 1984. So Peterson currently has 1,812 yards. Um, that I guess that this that that record um, probably is the safest of uh, the the three records that are are having a chance of being broken. Uh, another another record uh, on offense: Calvin Johnson in the same division, the NFC North. Uh, needs just 181 more receiving yards in the final two games to pass Jerry Rice's mark of 1,848 receiving yards in a season. Remarkable that uh, that record is perhaps going down. That record is also over 20 years old. And on defense, Alden Smith and J.J. Watt are tied for the league lead in sacks with 19 and a half. Um, Alden Smith had 19 and a half before the game against New England on Sunday night and didn't record a sack. J.J. Watt had three sacks of Andrew Luck on Sunday, so he moved into a tie with Smith. And both are just uh, three sacks shy of the record. Michael Strahan, 22 and a half sacks in 2001, is the, the NFL record. And uh, with two games to go, both have a legitimate shot of breaking that. Um... So I guess the question I wanted to pose to our uh, listeners, what record do you think is more likely to be broken? Um, me, I think Calvin Johnson's um, has the best shot. Actually, I think, to be honest, I think it's the way, <laughs> the, the pace he's going at, it's pretty safe to say he'll get 181 receiving yards in just two games. Um, he seemingly gets 100 yards receiving every week. Uh, he's... The f- uh, only the first wide receiver to have back-to-back 1,600-yard uh, receiving years, uh, two years in a row, quite a milestone in and itself, and has a chance to, to pass uh, Jerry Rice's record, I think he will do that. Um, Sacks Sachs is a little more harder to, to, to guess. As you can see, you know, Alden Smith was just three away with three games to go, thought that he had a real good shot and then didn't get any. Uh, against Tom Brady, a tough, tough quarterback to sack, though. J.J. Um, Watt, I think, uh, you know, has just as good of a chance, obviously, as Alden Smith. Alden Smith is going to be playing Seattle um, and then playing Arizona. So two division games for him. J.J. Watt is playing Minnesota. <laughs> Ironic, maybe uh, very unlikely, but maybe the two records will happen in the same game. Probably not, uh, as... Peterson would have to get 290-plus yards in one game against Houston to break that record. But um, And then in the last game, J.J. Uh, Watt plays Andrew Luck again, so have, perhaps getting Andrew Luck a couple more times in the last week could get Watt that record. Uh, one thing I wanted to say about the defensive ends in the league now, they're just unbelievable. I, I know that in the early 90s, um, you saw guys like Bruce Smith, uh, Reggie White, these guys were playing uh, defensive end. Um, some of the best players ever to play the game, let alone uh, best defensive ends. But think about the defensive ends that we get to see in today's NFL. I think Alden Smith and J.J. Watt, just the beginning of a really good 
um, great defensive ends around the league. Jason Pierre-Paul is another one that, you know, a year ago I think you could argue was perhaps the best defensive end in the league. Alden Smith and J.J. Watt are having coming out parties in their second season. Uh, Jason Pierre-Paul is, is another very young defensive end. All three of them I expect to uh, see great things for them uh, for years and years to come. Going back to Adrian Peterson, uh, the chance of him getting that record I think is a little um, less likely than the other two records. Um, 294 yards in two games uh, would be pretty incredible, though I think they're going to be feeding him the ball. I think they want him to get this record. The Vikings are in a playoff um, hunt um, at 8-6. and six. They're kind of the forgotten team in the NFC, to be honest. Um, they have a good shot of making the playoffs with um, teams like the Bears and uh, um, other teams c- continuing to, to lose, such as the Giants. But um, the, the, and the Redskins and Cowboys playing each other, that's, I think, very important for the Vikings. So they have a chance, pretty good chance, of getting uh, that sixth seed. Uh, but I think they're going to be feeding Peterson the ball. I think they want to pass this record. So I, I'm giving it maybe a 60-40 chance of, of getting that one. But I, I think very, very high chance, maybe not a very high chance, but a good chance of seeing all three of these records broken in, in two weeks. Um, maybe we'll be probably be talking about this on next week's show too. I want to quickly go over something that we talked about um, briefly last week, the NFL posing a rule change to kickoffs, eliminating kickoffs altogether, making it a fourth and 15 play, um, eliminating uh, special teams basically, and just making it a punt. Although a punt does count as special teams, but eliminating kickoff specialists, um, eliminating um, you know kickoff return men like Devin Hester and, and Joshua Cribs. Obviously, they can return punts as well, but completely different type of of, of uh, game here. And the biggest thing for me with this coaching, for this rule change, would be how much easier it would be to keep the ball. You know, you see teams like, um, you know, New England, Green Bay, um, teams with high-powering offenses, you think they might go for fourth and 15, especially you see um, in a game against the 49ers, um, New England was down at one point 28 points, although their defense did a great job when they kicked it deep and got the 49ers to go three and out. You know, in in a game like that with an offense like that, you might see Tom Brady go for fourth and fifteen, rather than kicking off when the game's tied thirty-one thirty-one, if your your offense is clicking that much, and I think that's the biggest concern for me in the rule change. Obviously, I don't want to see the kickoff go away. I, I like the kickoff the way it is, so I don't really want to see it turn into a punt. But I think the onside kick, um, or you know, what's replacing the onside kick with going for it on fourth and fifteen becomes much much easier, and you kind of. It, the NFL becomes a, a league of winner-take. You know, when pick up basketball, when the team that scores gets the ball again. And that's what you're kind of encouraging. Um, and I'm not sure you want to have that type of league. Yes, 4th and 15 is not a given. Um, not a, I'm not saying it, it's even going to be a 50%. You know, I guess if you look at the statistics, 
um, of how likely, which I don't have in front of me the statistics, but what's the likelihood of getting an onside kick? Probably around 30% is my guess. And what's the likelihood of, of converting a 4th and 15 for the average team? Probably around 30 35%. But for those teams that have very good offenses, you know, I, 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 I think in the long run, over time, it's going to be easier to convert a 4th and 15 than recover an onside kick. And that could really change the way football is played in the NFL. So I think that um, is very interesting. And I, I am against the rule change. Um, but that is the biggest issue for me with that. We're going to take one more quick quick break. Uh, there's another song from Duran Duran on the Rio album. And then we'll come back and wrap up today's show. Nation's Monday Morning Huddle. I'm your host, Dave Holcomb. Once again, get a hold of me on Twitter, D-M-H-O-L-C-O-M-B, or you can email me, D-M-H-O-L-C-O-M-B-06 at gmail.com. I'm just going to list three things um, that I'm looking forward to in week 16 before we uh, head off for the day. My number one thing, like I mentioned before, the San Francisco 49ers going into Seattle to take on the Seahawks, a division um, showdown. Uh, the winner of this game very well could win the division. Um, the 49ers, if they win, could wrap up a, uh, a first-round bye. Um, if they lose, Green Bay um, will be poised for that first-round bye. The second thing I'm looking forward to, Cincinnati Bengals going into Pittsburgh to play the Steelers. The Steelers still have their own destiny, even though they lost to the Cowboys. Um, two wins, and they're in at 9-7 and seven with the... the um, Sixth seed, Cincinnati have not had back-to-back winning seasons since the early 80s when they were going to Super Bowls, or at least one Super Bowl in 81. What better way for them to try and get a um, second uh, back-to-back winning season than to go into Pittsburgh and play the Steelers and try to beat them on their own turf? That would be a great win for them um, and would clinch a playoff berth, I believe, with their ninth win of the season, they'd have the tiebreaker um, over the Steelers, and um, would would wouldn't be able to be caught by any other team. So they would be in the playoffs for the second year in a row. I don't think they'd have it any other way than to clinch it against the Steelers. And my number one three, my my number third thing, um, the Jets. Although they're in a shambles, um, as we always mention, as ESPN loves to talk about, um, I'd like to see how Greg McElroy. Uh, does in his first start, um, and how uh, he will, how the Jets finish up the season. I'm very intrigued to see if they keep Rex Ryan. I personally think that he should go, but I'm interested to see what they do with that organization. It's just, it's almost gotten so bad for the Jets that you almost can't look away. It's, it's quite entertaining. So I'd like, I'm interested to see where that goes. Thanks for tuning in to this special show on Wednesday. Um, Look out for the next show on Monday morning, but in the meantime, I'm going to find some peace in my mind.